You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I came to Boise to work for Boise Bible College. Uh, My job there at the college has been to go out and meet with alumni and churches. I've been able to go from Alaska to Arizona. We even ended up in Zimbabwe visiting uh, graduates and going to church and preaching there. I've enjoyed that. I'm very passionate about the need for biblically literate uh, pastors and ministers. I believe God's called all of us to be a minister. All of us are to, to share the gospel with people all around. Normally when I'm out, last weekend I was in Grand Junction at a church and normally I give about a 10 minute commercial for the college. This morning I don't think I have to. For the whole reason why we merged with, I, I believe it was God's direction, but I think it was three young men that prompted us to want to merge with Hill City. Josh, Jake, and Andrew. They're all graduates of Boise Bible College, and I really believe that if every one of our graduates served with the same passion and the same desire they have for people to know Jesus, the whole world would be closer to Jesus. They're great people. It's an honor to to serve alongside them. Today, we're going to continue our talk on, on the fruit of the Spirit and talk about faithfulness. When people are asked what comes to their mind when they hear the word faithfulness, uh, some people mentioned, I always can count on my dog. (laughs) You know, I haven't had a dog for a long time, but dogs are faithful. They follow you around everywhere. It's interesting that nobody ever mentions or rarely mentions that their cat is faithful to them. (laughs) Another popular answer is, when, when they think of the word faithfulness is long-term marriages. They say that the seventh year of a marriage is critical. I tried to look that up and see exactly why, and really the, the biggest reason they had was that most people think that if you just live together for seven years, then you're legally married. The truth is, that's not quite true. Most states still want you to be have a piece of paper that says you're legally married. Uh, I think Long-term marriages uh, show faithfulness. How many people in here have been married for seven years or less? Are there anybody that put their hand up? Great, great. So you've got a long ways to go, but it's looking good. (laughs) How many people have been married, say, 25 years? Few. Anybody married for over, for 50 years? Whoa. Maybe some of us just feel like it's been 50 years. <laughs> I remember on our first wedding anniversary, we were in church, uh, and the preacher called out a couple that was sitting next to us who were celebrating their 25th anniversary. And Verl got up and he said, oh, it's been so wonderful. I can't believe it's been 25 years. It's been so sweet and nice. And then they acknowledged us, and I got up and said something to the effect that, boy, it feels like 25 years. (laughs) It probably wasn't the best response. (laughs) But I'm still married. (laughs) 
Every couple is different. In a recent article in Medicine Net, they listed three of the most important things that are needed for a successful marriage. The first one was commitment. It's more than just wanting to stay together for a long time. It's the act of choosing that your partner for life and promising to go through all the ups and downs. In our marriage ceremonies, we usually promise for better or worse. And, and when there are plenty of fish in the sea, it's, being married means that you are wholeheartedly invested in your partner and in the, you want that relationship to last. The second thing they say is love. Well, everybody's madly in love when they get married. It takes a lot more than just being madly in love. To sustain that love, it takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It takes generosity. True love means putting your partner first and giving of yourself without experiencing anything in return. It also helps that you accept each other for who you are, flaws and all, and to forgive each other when you fall short. The third thing is respect. Expressing love, no matter how heartfelt, doesn't mean much if our marriage partners don't respect each other. Respecting your partner for their qualities, their thoughts, their capabilities means that you not only accept, uh, and, uh, but you also admire the differences that you have in marriage. Respect can also help you listen to each other's opinions and overcome challenges and disagreements. It's no doubt that in our world, in the church and out of the church, long-term marriages are a sign of faithfulness. But perhaps the most popular answer when it comes to what does faithfulness bring to your mind would be God's faithfulness to mankind. See, the Bible is full of accounts of God's faithfulness to his people. God's been faithful from the very beginning of time. He opened Sarah's womb so she could have a child late in life. He, opened, he saved the Israelites from the Egyptians. He delivered David from battle after battle. And God's faithfulness was never more astounding than when he delivered us from sin by sending his son to live for us and to die for us. Our topic today is not so much about God's faithfulness, but it should be about what does it mean for us to show faithfulness in our lives. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story of a man leaving on a journey. He entrusted his wealth to his servants. He gave them varying amounts of gold to take care of while he was gone. And he asked them to care for it and invest it. When he returned, his servants brought back their gold. The first one came back with five plus five more. The second returned with the two he had been given and two more. But the third returned with just his one bag of gold and said he was so afraid of losing anything that he put the gold, he hid the gold until the master returned. The response of the master to the first two was, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and enjoy the master's happiness. However, his response to the third servant was, you wicked and lazy servant, depart from me. Being faithful means that there will be some evidence of our faith in God. A faithful Christian will produce fruit. 
Our scripture series is from Galatians 5.22. And we've been talking about this for a number of weeks, so we probably almost have that memorized, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And last week, we talked on gentleness, and when Josh comes back, he gets to speak on self-control. I don't think anyone else wanted self-control. So (laughs) good luck, Josh. (laughs) But faithfulness as a fruit will give credit to God as we live a life of trust and commitment to God. And as we show our love to God through our actions, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle or that we won't make some poor decisions in life. But what it does mean is that we will continue to trust God and try to follow his commandments even when life is difficult. God is always faithful and he will never leave us or forsake us. God knows our capabilities. He knows that we're not all given the same talents and opportunities. He doesn't expect the same results from each of us. As an example here at Hill City, we're blessed with three men that can preach quite well. Each of them have different giftedness, but they each preach the gospel, preach the word very well. Uh, We're blessed to have them and the rest of our staff. God's given each of us gifts to use, but we're not all preachers. I found over the years that my giftedness is not like Josh or Jake's necessarily. I love to go out and encourage pastors and speak to leaders and listen. I'll preach, but I guess sometimes God takes us out of our comfort zone and he makes us do things that we're not most comfortable with. One of my first thoughts when Josh asked me about speaking on faithfulness was the hymn that we sang this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We don't sing very many old hymns anymore and I'm old, I miss those hymns. But sometimes it seems like we sing mostly contemporary songs and they're great, they have a great message, but I miss the old hymns. The same thing happens at our school, in our chapel. We normally sing contemporary songs, but when we sing a hymn, sometimes it seems like even young people sing louder and more people participate. This particular hymn talks about God's faithfulness to his people. A man by the name of Thomas Chisholm wrote the words to great is thy faithfulness. He wrote them way back in 1923. He was an interesting man. He was not educated, but he was a teacher. He taught. He was a newspaper man. He was a pastor, but he wasn't too musically inclined. So he sent the poem to a friend of his at Moody Bible Institute, and he put it to, to the words to music. For many years, they sang it at the Bible, at the Institute there in Chicago. The students liked it, the faculty liked it, but it didn't get very popular for a long time. And then in 1954, Billy Graham took that song with him to Great Britain, and they sang it in one of his uh, evangelistic services. 1954. There's a few of us that were around then, but barely in my case. But it became popular, and now it's popular, has been popular for years. The first verse talks about God's unchanging faithfulness. And the second verse talked about God's faithfulness in creating the creation. And that last verse talks about the peace that comes from redemption in Jesus. 
Faithfulness is who God is. And he has promised faithfulness is available to us as his followers. God is faithful and he won't allow more temptations to come to us than we can handle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out that you can endure. God's available to strengthen us when we're weary. In Corinthians 1.8, it reminds us he will keep you uh, strong in the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful in what he says. God faithfully keeps his promise to us. In Lamentations, we read, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So just as God is faithful, we are called to be faithful to God. There will be times when it's difficult to follow God, when life is really hard and we walk through trials. There will be times when it feels like we're walking through the heart of the desert with no water. In those times, we must be faithful to God. We must turn to him and his strength as only we can find through the power of his Holy Spirit. As a young man growing up in church, the older men impressed me with their dedication to knowing God's word, to teaching God's word to adults, to kids, to youth, and to living it out every day. I vowed early in life that I wanted to live the life of an elder. And I looked at the men in the church, including my own dad, as examples and didn't want to disappoint them. When life got tough and I wanted to run from God, I often thought about the men that were my examples and I just didn't want to disappoint them. And it helped me from keeping those bad decisions internal anyway. I didn't want to disappoint them. And in the end, ultimately, I wanted to remain faithful to God and not disappoint him. We live out our faithfulness to God in relationships with other people. I mentioned earlier that probably the most common form of faithfulness that comes to mind is marriage, especially long-term marriage. The Bible tells us that spouses should be faithful to one another, and part of faithfulness is avoiding adultery, but it's so much more than that. Husbands and wives are meant to serve each other and to love one another. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a big commandment, husbands, to love our husbands as Christ loved us. So I should show their faithfulness to each other by encouraging one another in God, by actively loving each other and patiently caring for each other's needs. Nowhere is it promised that it will be easy, but when we faithfully love and care for each other, the world sees Jesus. In almost 48 years of marriage, we have had our trials. There's been some tough times, but in the end, we've always been there for each other. I guess if you want the real story on what it's like to live with David, you have to ask my wife, and she probably has a few stories. Another way that we can show faithfulness is in our friendships. The Bible deeply values friendships, and there are many instances of loyalty between friends. In Ecclesiastes 4, Verse nine, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. 
For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to pick him up. Being faithful in friendship means offering godly counsel, carrying each other's burdens, and remaining loyal through hardships. This is something that needs to become a lifestyle for us as Christians. Our faithfulness to our loved ones means loving them even when it's difficult, caring for them even when they're ungracious or unkind. It means thinking well of them instead of assuming the worst of their intentions. It means offering godly counsel and building them up when they feel uh, weak. As we get older, our reward sometimes is the results of how we've treated our own children. And their kids are usually the prime examples of what our values were. In January, my kids threw a birthday party for me. It was special. We had lots of friends and family. We ate together. But probably the best part of that party was at the end of it when my oldest son got up and gave a speech. And in his speech, he indicated his thankfulness for his dad's faithfulness to loving God, to serving the church, and taking care of his family. And that his intent was to pass that on to his boys. For me, that was probably one of the most special times I've had in life to see that my son was actually valuing a lifetime of teaching. Although many godly traits are attributed to faithfulness, I have just four here that I'd like us to think about that I think are vitally important. The first one is holiness needs to be a priority in our lives. Charles Spurgeon's an 1800s preacher rightly noted, there will be three effects to nearness to Jesus, humility, happiness, and holiness. If these three aren't present, then hard questions need to be asked of our life. Do we have a rebellious spirit? Do we love the things of the world more than the things of God? Have I let bitterness and pride set in? We must fight for holiness. Our relationship with God is dependent upon it. Holiness produces faithfulness and spiritual power. Carnality produces faithlessness and a life void of spiritual power. Carnality gives God his due, maybe a few hours on Sunday, but forgets that his call is to be more than that, to be called out from the world. Holiness is like a fire burning deep within us. Do we stoke the flames or are we in always trying to put the flames out? Uh, are we so stoked when it comes to the things of the world, but not to the things of God? Uh, sports can be something that can take over some. Uh, football season keeps some home on Sunday so they can watch that 10 o'clock game. Uh, soccer can distract a family uh, from coming to church, from worshiping. In our family, basketball has always been a big deal. I probably could have studied this sermon a little bit more last night, but those basketball games got in the way. <laughs> Melody went to bed before Gonzaga win, won, but she woke up this morning all excited that her team was still in the bracket. It's been a big deal for our family. We create our own bracket, and we have a little trophy we pass around. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but whatever the interest, if it takes you away from loving God with everything that you are, if it gets in the way, it, it indicates that we need to work a little bit harder 
on our desire to be holy before God. Two things I think we should check regularly to see how our holiness matches up with God. That's our calendar and our checkbook. We need to allow God to awaken and restore us. In Acts 3.19, it's very direct when it says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The second thing that I think is important is God's word needs to be the source of our authority. A faithful Christian is not continually looking for help, more help from Merrill Lynch for finances or to their hairdresser for marriage advice, maybe having the guys at work set priorities for you. We need to be looking to God and his word. Uh, he's after all our wonderful counselor. So the Bible, God's word should be our guide. I don't even like to say this because it's convicting to me, but sometimes I think we need to look at how often do we read the Bible compared to how often we watch TV. Uh, It can be really convicting if we think about all of our power for growing is in God's word and in praying. Why don't we spend more time? The third uh, thing here is reliance on God's strength, not on our own. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God will often break us down in order to build us up. He'll take away our strength, uh, and that's what we've been trusting in, not when we not looking to him. The refiner's fire involves fire and heat, and the waves of change often toss and turn and make us uncomfortable. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. God doesn't promise it will be easy, but he does promise he'll not forsake us. He won't leave us. He won't give us more than we can handle. The fourth reason, fourth thing is to keep his word despite any setbacks that we have in life. Faithful Christians will keep the course regardless of the storm, regardless of criticism, regardless of the heat. We must learn to persevere. One thing we know for certain is that Christ will return. In Revelation 3.11, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take away your crown. The message of hope is always urgent. Be ready always. Faithfulness doesn't come easy. It takes desire and dedication. Do you want to live a, faith, a life of faithfulness to God? I think we all really do. The first step is to know Jesus, to trust him as your savior and your Lord, and to confess your desire to follow him and obey him in Christian baptism. Once you've made it this far, The simplest means to grow in your faithfulness, I think, is to adhere to the Hill City Partner Plan. Anybody hear of that? If you haven't, it's pretty easy to look at on our our website. It's rather simple, and frankly, I could have saved 20 minutes if I would have just gone right here. But I'd like you to think about these things. The first 
And what we do is we just ask people to sign this as a commitment between you and God that you're willing to take an, an extra step in your walk. The first one says, I will attend worship gatherings consistently, serve faithfully, and give generously for the building up of the body. What better way to grow in our faithfulness than to worship regularly, serve faithfully, and give generously. The second point in our uh, partner plan says, I will be an active part of a life group, knowing that discipleship happens in community. There's probably no better way for us to grow in our faith than to read God's word, but to spend it together with like-minded people. So our life groups are all about getting together, studying God's word, and growing together. Uh, I think anybody could sign up. Jake would be glad to sign you up for a life group before you leave today. And the third point on that plan is I will live out my faith in my personal life through spiritual practices like prayer and Bible reading. Faithfulness is a deliberate, focused effort to be more like Jesus. One of my favorite authors of late is Bob Goff. He's an attorney turned Christian. He writes some great books, but he has this quote. He says, I used to think you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. You want to grow your faithfulness? Simply say yes. I'd like to end today with a story. It's a little long, but I think it tells us about faithfulness. This all started a number of years ago at a Baptist church in Crystal Palace, South London. The Sunday morning service was closing and a man stood up in the back and raised his head and said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a short testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, probably what Jake is doing right now, and he says, uh, sure, you have two minutes. <laughs> the man proceeded with his story. I just moved into this area. I used to live in Sydney, Australia, not too far from where Josh is right now. Just a few mo months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street. You know, the street where it connects the, the business area with the colonial area and there's lots of shopping. And a strange little white-haired man stepped out from a shop doorway, put out a pamphlet in my hand and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I was astounded by these words. No one had ever asked me that, and I thanked him courteously, and all the way back home to London, this puzzled me. Then I called a friend, and thanked God he was a Christian, and he led me to Christ. The Baptists loved testimonies like that, so everyone applauded and welcomed him into their fellowship. The Baptist pastor then flew to Adelaide, Australia, the next week, and 10 days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came up to him, for some counseling. He wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And he asked, and she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple months back, I was visiting some friends in Sydney. And I was doing some last minute shopping on George Street. And a strange little white haired man stepped out of a shop. He handed me a pamphlet. And he said, excuse me, madam, are you saved? Will you go to heaven if you die tonight? When I got home to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was down the street on the next block. I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. And now I'm a Christian. The London pastor was now pretty puzzled. Twice in two weeks from around the world, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach to 
Mount Pleasant Church in Perth, Australia. When his teaching was over, the senior elder of the church took him out to a meal and he asked the elder how he had gotten saved. He says, well, I grew up in this church from the age of 15. I never really made a commitment to Jesus, but just hopped on the bandwagon like everyone else. Because I, was a business, I had business ability, I grew to a place of influence. I was on a business trip to Sydney three years ago. An obnoxious, spiteful little old man stepped out <laughs> of a shop doorway. He offered me a religious pamphlet and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I tried to tell him that I was a Baptist elder, but he wouldn't listen to me. I was seething all the way back to my home in Perth. I told my pastor, thinking that he would sympathize, but he agreed with the little old man. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. So my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. The London preacher flew home and was soon preaching at a convention uh, outside of London. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of the teaching series, four elderly pastors came up and explained that they too had been saved 25 and 30 years ago through the same little man on George Street offering him a pamphlet and asking him the question. The following week, he flew to another convention in the Caribbean. He spoke to missionaries there and he shared these testimonies. At the close, three missionaries came forward and said it was 10 and 15 years ago that the same man had accosted them and they became Christians and were now missionaries. Next, he stopped in Atlanta, Georgia to speak to a naval chaplain convention. He was there for three days, spoke to about a thousand chaplains. Afterwards, the chaplain general took him to a meal and the pastor asked the chaplain how he became a Christian. You probably figured it out. He said it was miraculous. I was on a Navy battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked in the Sydney Harbor for replenishments. I hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I was blind drunk, got on the wrong bus, got off on George Street. As I got off the bus, I thought I saw a ghost and this man jumped out in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, sailor, are you saved? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? The fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober, and I ran back to the ship, sought out the chaplain, and he led me to Christ. I soon began to prepare for the ministry, and now I have over a thousand chaplains under my guard, and they're all bent on winning souls. Six months later, the London pastor flew to a conference of 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote part of northeast India. At the end of the in the head missionary took him to a humble little house for a simple meal. And the pastor asked this once Hindu how he came to Christ. He says, I grew up in a very privileged position. I worked in the Indian diplomat mission and I traveled the world. I'm so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and the blood covering my sin. I'd be ashamed if people knew what I had got into. One period of diplomatic service took me to Sydney I was doing some last-minute shopping, laden with toys and clothes for my children, walking down George Street when this courteous white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? Will you, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? I thanked him very much, but it disturbed me. I got back home. I sought out our Hindu priest, 
And he couldn't help me, but he said, just to satisfy your curiosity, go to the mission house down the road. I did, and it was a good thing because that missionary led me to Christ. I quit Hinduism immediately and began to prepare for ministry. And now, through, the, through our efforts, over 100,000 people in North India have come to know Christ. Eight months later, the London pastor was preaching in Sydney. He asked the local Baptist minister if he knew of an elderly, white-haired man who handed out tracts on George Street. He replied, sure, I do. Uh, his name is Mr. Jenner. Although I don't think he does it anymore, he's so frail and elderly. So two nights later, they went to meet in his little apartment. They knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail old man greeted them. He sat them down and made them some tea. It was so frail that he was slopping the tea into the saucer as his hands shook as he brought it to them. The London preacher sat there and told him of all these accounts from the previous three years. This man sat there with tears running down his cheeks, and he then told him his story. Since I was an enlisted man in an Australian warship, I was living a shameless life. In a crisis, I hit the wall. One of my colleagues, to whom I'd given literal hell to, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. I was so grateful to God, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple way uh, to at least 10 people every day. As God gave me strength, I did that. Sometimes I was ill and I couldn't, but I tried to make up for it in other days. People every day, I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the track. In all these 40 years of doing this, I had never heard of one single person coming to know Jesus until tonight. I would say that Mr. Jenner was the most faithful man perhaps I've ever known. To keep doing something over and over to benefit his God and not know of any results. Probably 150,000 people got that track. And who knows, but it feels like to me that London pastor only knows the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of the people that might have been influenced for Jesus. I just, today, I just have one simple question for each of us to consider. Are you saved? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Faithfulness is a fruit that we need to make our own. Let's pray. Father, you are so faithful. You've been faithful to each of us in so many ways. To just bring us to worship this morning, to allow us to sing songs of praise to you, to help us to walk in your light. Father, we thank you for how you've brought two churches together here, how you're growing this uh, community to one that's going to serve you for a long time. Father, please help us. If, if, if we need to make a decision to be closer to you, to, to be holy, to study your word, to pray, to, to step out, help each one of us to make the decision we need to make today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.